Welcome to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have real, honest, smart, and sometimes even hilarious conversations about co-parenting, separation, and divorce, and all that goes along with that. I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and today I have with me my dear friend, Sandy Herrera. Sandy is the creator of Got Core Values, a nonprofit that is successfully creating positive cultures in schools, leading to higher graduation rates and happier teachers. And she is a divorced mom uh, of a 16-year-old son. And today, she is joining me to talk about how she married and divorced the same man twice and her journey throughout that process. Welcome, Sandy. Thanks for coming on to talk about your story. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to catch up with you. I know, right? This is sort of our, this is, um, for everybody listening, um, this is going to be really informative. For me and Sandy, this is an opportunity for us to catch up. (laughs) Just uh, full disclosure, uh, Sandy and I went through our um, organization and relationship systems coaching training together. And so we've been in each other's orbits for a long time. Uh, How many years ago was that? Oh my God, I don't even know. I think it was 2012. Six years? Wow. Yeah. It's been yeah. a long time. Wow. I think it was 2000. Was it? Anyway, something like that. I don't know. Years passed me by. I, I missed a whole decade. <laughs> years of my child's life are a blur. <laughs> I think that's true. I hear that from so many moms. It's like that first decade of your children's life. You look back and go, wait. What happened? Wasn't it just 1990 something? <laughs> all of a sudden it's 2012. Like, wait, wait a minute. Someone said, I think it's so apt. Someone said the days go really slowly, but the years fly by. Right. And that is like, I think that that really hits the nail on the head for parenting. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Every day is like clawing, (laughs) clawing for the finish. And then you look back at the years and you're like, what happened? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Especially that three months. I didn't know which way was up. Oh, please. That's not even, yeah. Oof. Neither here nor there. Can't <laughs> yeah, even. Those are first three months right now. Keep oh, going. God. So, so you came, you contacted me because you wanted to tell your story of having married and divorced the same man twice. Yeah. And, and it's like, I, I want to label that like a journey of discovery and like, I want to label it so positive. And then I'm like, dude, you were just a glutton for punishment. Like, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) There's that side of it too. (laughs) Well, right. It's not, it's, I think any, any relationship um, and certainly one that involves children uh, and that ends in divorce, it's not black or white. None of this is black or white. It's It's just not, you know, and there's no magic answer. There's no like, it's it's the same with anything in life. We get to this place where we'll think I'll be happy when, or you know, you think you'll arrive someday. And the older we get, the more my friends and I we we all finally are realizing in our forties now, finally, like okay, um, there is no arrival. There's no. there's no. the journey because there's always something new you want to do. There's always something new you want to explore. There's always something you know, a new friendship, a new relationship. But yeah, we never stop growing and learning. It's kind of who we are as humans. Well, and I always say, I always say there's no there there, you know, and that if we, and if we do arrive, we should probably cash it in. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> like, and you know, people like us who have dedicated our lives to coaching and things like that, obviously we have a stronger value 
around this digging and searching and and yeah. all of that, right? And and often that leads to putting ourselves through the ringer <laughs> more. Yeah, more than most. about that. It's like maybe yeah. if if I can't do the work myself, yeah, then there's no way I can coach anyone else to do it. Much less, you know, I'd be a hypocrite if I wasn't doing it, which kind of leads to why I left the second time is just that that I was so out of values alignment that I couldn't yeah I couldn't stay anymore. And values are literally your world. <laughs> literally your world. And it was that that rude awakening of ah, yeah. I can't uh, I yeah, I got it. Yeah. Can't do this anymore. I know. And sometimes I think, I I do think sometimes we start to, someone said, you know, years ago, like you teach what you most need to learn, you know, and I think often we're drawn to things that we want to teach because, because we're kind of desperate for the lesson that we're going to learn in the process. Yeah. You know? Um, So tell me about, tell me about the first time. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> let's start with the first time that would be a weird question what's that <laughs> yeah <laughs> if we weren't talking about marriage and divorce yes no <laughs> i don't want to hear about you losing your virginity Sandy. <laughs> i don't yeah I don't not on the podcast anyway <laughs> i don't know i don't know anyone that really wants to talk about that yeah um i want to i the first time Oh, how far back should I go? So I was married at, at um, 23. Yeah. And I, I was in love with love. Mm. I was in that place where you graduate high school, you go to college, you get your degree, you get a job, you get married, you have babies. Mm-hmm. Like that. That's what you're supposed to do, right? Right. And then it was... And it was marry your best friend. And it was, you know, make sure that you have this good friendship and make sure you have all these, you know, qualities of, of friendship and alignment. And um, my ex-husband and I had been friends. We actually met when I was in college. And we, um, we started out just as friends. I was dating his roommate hmm. and then ended up living with him in um, between my junior and senior year of college because my boyfriend at the time, his roommate, went overseas to Japan for six months and I had a job like a mile away from their house. And he's like, well, just live there. I'll pay the rent. You pay the utilities. Um, Rick's there, but he's in and out the the door anyways, not home barely at all. You'll pretty much have the house to yourself. I'm like, all right, easy. Um, So Rick and I just became friends. And um, whenever he was there, he'd have a party at the house or whatever. And he ended up telling me that my boyfriend at the time who was in Japan was cheating on me. And uh, so he comes back from Japan. We break up, obviously. And Rick and I just stayed friends. And to the point where we were kind of like a brother-sister friendship, mm-hmm. trying to set each other up with each other's friends. And then I graduated uh, college and got to a place where I was like, okay, now is the time where I'm supposed to meet the one. I'm supposed to like, it's supposed to be your best friend. Well, Rick's my best friend. And so Rick and I started dating. We mm-hmm. kind of looked at each other and went, why aren't we dating? We keep trying to set each other up. And it, it worked. We had fun. It was, you know, that, you know, normal, the seemingly normal, um, to me and got married and moved to Las Vegas 
started trying to have a baby, went through two and a half years of infertility, three miscarriages. Mm. Um, our, our son turned one and his mom um, passed away shortly thereafter. And it was this whole like perfect storm of buildup yeah. uh, that really kind of amplified to me that we weren't in values alignment that we, and, and I have that language now. I didn't have that language at the time. Uh, but, but can you say what, just for our, for our listeners who yeah. don't have that language, yeah. what does that mean to you? So when I think about values alignment, I think about um, when something is in flow, when something actually feels good to you, when it's working, when, <clears throat> excuse me, and it's even in like friendships and in, um, in any kind of relationship, when you're in values alignment, things are easy and natural and, and there's, um, there's not a lot of drama. I wouldn't say there's zero drama because we still have, you know, conflict. We're still human. Get hurt yeah, and the- sure. But overall, there's this, we're rowing in the same direction in life, rooted in the same core values. And core values, obviously I teach it, are those things that are innate in every one of us yeah. that make it, um, that are the, the, the root cause or the root reason behind decisions and behaviors that we have on a day to day basis. Whether we're paying attention to them or not, they're there. And so those values, when you're in alignment, um, make the behaviors and the actions and all that stuff on a daily basis kind of easier. And that, I mean, there's a lot of science behind it and a lot of like clinical stuff. But to me, when I think of values alignment, it's, it's that Mm -hmm. you're in flow with someone. It's just easy to be around. They're just natural progression stuff. And realizing that there was so, we started having this friction it was like when we were, um, sorry, my phone was ringing at the same time. Um, having this common goal of trying to get pregnant, having this common goal of buying a house, having this, like we could, we could do those things together. Um, but we, we couldn't like overcome things. Um, how do I say that? It just, it got to this place where there was just so much friction and, and things that, that he wasn't able to uh, overcome mm-hmm. in his life. His mother's death was, was really hard on him, and rightfully so. It was really hard on me as well, but obviously it was his mom. Um, and it just started this domino effect of we weren't communicating. We weren't getting help to communicate. He wouldn't go to get help to communicate. So I started going to counseling. I started growing. I started evolving and he wasn't joining me. Yeah. And that was kind of the first glaringly obvious segue of who each of us were. I want to, I just want to, I want to stop there for a second because you bring up such an interesting point that I I see and I hear all the time from my, my um, readers, from my listeners, from my, you know, I get emails about this, Facebook messages about this all the time. I want to go to therapy. My husband doesn't want to go to therapy. My husband refuses to go. And there's at that moment, yeah. right? There's a decision that's kind of made. We don't know it at the time. Right. I think we don't know it at the time, right? But we're just like, something's got to give. I'll do the work. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we think, and I, and, I, and I think there's a lot of truth to that, right? But like, yeah. we, we're the only one that can do the work on ourselves. We can't force it on anybody else. And we're going to take responsibility and we're going to own it. But there's, it immediately divides the path. Right. Right. 
So, so in that moment, when you said, I'll go, he's not going to go, I'll go. It's almost like at that moment, the writing's halfway on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I kept thinking that I'll just lead by example. Right. Yeah, we do. That's what yeah. I can control, right? Right. And, and it, it got to this place where, um, we would, we would have good weeks or we would have good months, but then we would fall back and it, we just never seemed to get enough traction to move forward, um, in the most healthy way possible. And, and to be honest at that time, I wasn't really being the best wife either. Like I, I now look back and, and can own all of my part that didn't really help him be his best self. And, yes. and granted, I, I couldn't control what he did or didn't do, but I definitely didn't. Um, yeah. I, I you didn't facilitate his, his growth or his, yeah. 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 yeah I, totally see that. And, and so there's, there's pieces where if you think about that, that initial line in the sand where, mm-hmm. okay, I'll just go because you don't want to go. Well, I, I need it. So I'm going to take care of myself because I know that I need to be healthy and I need to process some of this stuff, whatever the stuff is. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's still an opportunity to show up differently and to, to work through. And I think that that's the beauty of the work that you do is in the beauty of, of our ORSC coach training yeah. is that it gives us the tools and the skills to unlock things that um, sometimes just traditional counseling per se, not that it's good, bad, right or wrong, doesn't necessarily unlock. Right. And yep. So knowing that now, you know, if I were to go back, there were, there's things that I could have done differently. Not that I think it, it would have necessarily changed the outcome. I think it just, I may not have gone back a second time. Right. Um, sure. Because I didn't know what I didn't know. And so kind of fast forward to, to the, the decision to leave that first time was as, as simple. I mean, it's always a simple moment, right? Obviously yeah. it's, there's a bigger picture at play. But it was a simple moment of um, my sister was in town with her daughter staying with us. And um, I was doing real estate at the time. And I had just had like my my first big month um, in, in real estate. I think I had like a $30,000 month or something. And so I was super excited. And I was out showing houses all day. And I um, I called and said, hey, you know, I'll pick up dinner. You know, what do you guys want? They're like, well, we've got the kids to so just, you know, pick it up for, for the three of us. And I was like, all right. So pick up Mexican food and, you know, bring it back to the house and we're sitting chatting and and I'm talking about this stuff that I'm excited about. And, um, he turns and chimes in and says, um, so what else do you have going on? And I, I looked at him and I threw a chip at him as if to say like, like, like I was trying to be playful, but like, really, really when I'm like so excited. And, and it was, it was this, this moment where I, I honestly wasn't like angry that he said it. It was more just a, what the heck, man? And I threw a chip at him. Like, she, like it was nothing. It was kind of a playful, knock it off. Yeah. And he got up and actually got in his truck and drove away, which is the first time he had ever done that, regardless of the type of argument we'd ever had. And it was in that moment that I was like, oh, I'm okay. Hmm. Like, I'm, I'm not... 
Like I don't, I don't, I didn't want him to, to go. That didn't feel good, but I actually felt okay yeah. as, as a woman and as a mom mm-hmm. and as a, as a business person. Like I, yes. Like, All right. Um, right. Because, and what I hear in that moment, and I don't know if this is true, if you guys have, you know, unpack this more, but what I hear in that moment is that you were having a level of success that was challenging to him and that he needed to undercut it. But because you were having this level of success, you were, you had this deep knowing that as a woman, as an individual, you were going to be perfectly fine. You could support yourself. You could write all of those things. Is that. And and I have that, that awareness. I don't know if his story would be the same. Sure. Well, they, it rarely is. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to have agreement with your ex about how it all played out, right? That's rare. That's actually a really good point is because so often we want the stories to be the same. Oh, they never are. And they never yes. are. It's and almost that-, that, that piece of letting go of that other person's um, needing to define what that other person's lens is. Like we don't need to do that. And no, and I think you're right. I think that I think so much of the divorce process gets so muddied by trying to control the narrative and make sure that like all your friends know that like, this is the narrative or trying to get your, your soon to be ex or your ex to agree to a narrative that you have defined. Right. And it's, it's just actually not necessary. And it's, right. and it's hard, right? One of the hardest lessons for me to learn in my growth and recovery and my codependency recovery was that it's none of my business what other people think of me. Right. And that was, that was life-altering. And with the first time I heard it, I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> like, no, it, you, know, you don't understand. It really matters what everybody thinks about me, yeah. including my ex-husband, right? And that's, I mean... That's a growth piece that I think um, as human beings, I was going to say as women, but I think it's as humans mm-hmm. that that's a consistent evolution of growth. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no, I still struggle with that to this day. hundred percent. Totally. Of, I still care what other people think. I still, there's still times to this day. And I think we have a pretty good co-parenting relationship. Um, but there's still to this day when I'll catch myself carrying what he thinks. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, it's like, hmm, why am I doing that? I have, I have the, the tools now um, and the self-awareness now to be able to recognize it and then lead with curiosity, right? And, mm-hmm. and get into that space of, why am I doing that? Wait, this doesn't feel good. Why am I, fe- what? What is going on? What am I? Yes. And, and yes. kind of psychoanalyze myself yeah um, to get out of my own way and recognize that it's I'm responsible for those patterns of behavior yeah because what he thinks or doesn't think like you said none of my business I need to change the narrative in my head about what that is or isn't and if I get to choose whether he's thinking positive or thinking negative I'm gonna choose positive because that one feels better right Yeah. And we get to let go of what, what he thinks, right? Like what his narrative is like, we get to own our own narrative and we can shift our own narrative around something. And usually we do that by introspective, by introspection and curiosity. Um, you know, because we, you know, the easy narrative is blame. The harder narrative is personal responsibility, but it's also the one that gives us the most freedom. 
Um, you know, so to shift the narrative to curious, like you said, leading with curiosity and like that gives us the most freedom. And then what, whatever he thinks, whatever his narrative is, it's just not up to us. Yeah. It's, it's easy to go down the path. I mean, you know, this, we, we talk about this stuff all the time is that there's, there's more root negative emotions that we as humans have mm-hmm. than there are positive ones. And so the positive ones, we actually have to work on that. It's actually right. like a muscle. You can't just all of a sudden go to the gym one day and you're a bodybuilder. Like it doesn't work that way. You actually have to work it out. Right. So in order to have positive thoughts and lead with positivity and lead with gratitude, like you have to practice it. And it's hard when- This is it's, why it's called a gratitude practice. <laughs> it's so much easier to go down the negative gravy train and, and just- use excuses as to why you're acting that way. I, I still do it to this day sometimes. And when I end up in my own way and then I wake up and go, oh, uh, yeah. All right. Mm-hmm. I'm human. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as coaches, you know, we practice this stuff on a daily basis, but we are, we're human and we're also more trained to see it, right? Most of us are on a, you know, we're, we're operating on autopilot, but it's our job at this point to notice these things in ourselves and others, right? And so we sometimes notice it even more and we feel like, and then it, then it can spiral in on itself because then we're like, I'm totally fucking this up. You know, I shouldn't be fucking it up. Like, like, well, you're just, you're doing it as much as the average person. You're just more aware of it because of who you are and what you do. And that- Right. And I say to my clients all the time, I'm like, you're winning. If you're seeing it and you're winning. noticing it, yeah. you're winning. Yeah. <laughs> like, like my name is Sandy and I, <laughs> like, I, I know this. My, my sister is a child psychologist um, yeah. in Florida. And I, I was telling her the other day a story and, and I'll, I'll get to that part in a minute when we talk about kind of this go around of divorce. Um, but it was like, gosh, wouldn't it be awesome to just live unconsciously, wouldn't it be? Oh like my God, I think that's all the time. And, yep. and she's like, yeah, and then you can't. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, you know, I, I, this comes up for me more often than not in dating in Los Angeles. Yeah. Oops. Let's pause for a sec. I'm going to edit this part out. Gaia. So this comes up for me more often than not in dating in Los Angeles, right? Because it's a, it, all the cliches are true when you're dating in your forties in LA and you know, it's, and I do, I sometimes wish I'm like, you know what? I would be so happily coupled if I could just be blissfully unaware of, you know, but I'm, but it doesn't work that way. Yeah, it doesn't. Sadly. Yeah. And then when you're in a new relationship, as it's still not like blissful because no. you're both now evolved conscious people. You're now Hopefully. both evolved and conscious. And so then you're hyper aware to the triggers and then you have that triggered conversation. And yeah. then it's like, okay, now we need strategies. And so then you dive into it together and you're like, God, are we, are we done? Like, can we just have fun? Can we just have fun? Or does it have to be so right? And it, and it feels like work, but it's not, it's actually, healthy communication relationship tools, right? These are the, these are the things that we know. Um, but it does start to feel like it takes the, kind of the fun out of it, right? Yeah. And it takes some of the drama out of it too, because, you know, I no longer, it's not that, it's not that I no longer get triggered, but I no longer allow my, my I don't, I no longer have the, 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 the vast emotional response <laughs> to my triggers that I used to have, right? I'm actually able to say, so here's the deal 
when you're late, it triggers my experience as a child of blah, 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 blah. And so, you know, what would really work for me is if you, you would text me or call me or, you know, please try not, you know, work on not being late, all the things, right. The whole conversation. And, you know, it's so fucking mature (laughs) grown up, but it takes out a lot of that, like excitement of a first relationship (laughs) of the newness and the rawness and the fights and the making up and (laughs) sort of like, Oh, this relationship stuff is really boring. (laughs) We have to consciously go, you know what? Let's just go have fun. Let's Let's, just go play. Yeah. (laughs) Totally. Which is, which is fun too. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, um, okay. So in that moment, yeah. you knew that you were going to be fine. Yeah. And so what happened then? And how old was your son at the time? Uh, he was four. Okay. He was four or yeah. just turning four or something. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, and so it was, I mean, there's a lot of like minute things that happened in there. I ended up taking some time for me um, just to kind of be in my own space, which I really hadn't done. I hadn't really practiced self-care very well mm-hmm. um, other than going to the gym. Um, it really, my going to the gym was more like running away, not, yeah. um, not practicing self-care. And I really didn't. I didn't practice meditation. I didn't practice like I didn't do any of that stuff. So, so taking a weekend for myself, my reason for doing it is I needed to get all my stuff together for taxes. But which I kind of did, but I also just took some time to think for me and um, process what I really wanted and start asking myself some of those questions, like, like, who am I and what do I want? And, you know, that kind of began this journey. Um, of self-discovery for lack of a better word that allowed me to find out what my values are and what does make me happy and um, really kind of lean into who, who I am as a woman versus who I was, as, you know, growing up as a tomboy growing up, you know, being the middle child of three girls with a single mom and, you know, handling everything. And, you know, I was responsible from the time I was eight years old and, you know, that, that was kind of the, my role that I took on. And so getting a job at, at 12, 15 years old and working my way through college. And it was, it was like finally a moment of wait, of waking up and looking around and going, I think I was 30 at the time. Um, and going, who am I? Yeah. Right. And then the divorce actually went really quickly that time because there was a lot of, of, we just got to do it, like just be done. Right. And so we both got attorneys cause that's what you do. And, um, we were able to, you know, avoid going to court and, you know, mediated most stuff. And it was because I kind of just said whatever on mm-hmm. a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it still, you know, kind of came out what felt like pretty equal and you know shared custody of our son and and all that kind of stuff and so then um that began the the painful side of it I mean I remember days like taking a shower and then just finding myself sitting on the floor of the shower crying and Mm. him coming in and saying why are you doing this you know what a it's like 
So the emotional roller coaster of it all. Um, and then him finally moving out. And then we both quickly started dating. And I say quickly, you know, within two, three months. Um, it was a very, very unconscious time of my life when I look back on it. Yeah. And it was, I needed to fill a void, but I wasn't filling it in a healthy way. I was yeah. definitely just filling it to fill it Ugh. and trying to raise my kid and trying to keep working and make money and trying to do this and trying to do that. And I found myself, you know, in a mountain of debt and unhappy. And um, I was still really close to his brother and sister-in-law. And um, so then kind of fast forward to two years into our divorce um, neither one of us were dating anyone at this time. And he, he was supposed to be going on, on a hunting trip and um, his brother and sister-in-law had invited uh, our son and I to go to Disneyland with um, the two of them and their two girls. Mm -hmm. And um, it was like, sure, it'll be fun. And at the last minute, his hunting trip got canceled. And he said, do you mind if I join you guys um, at Disneyland? I was like, no, it's fine. You know, we're, we're getting along as parents. Like, it's fine. And it was in that moment when I, I, I remember saying to my sister-in-law, like, why do I want to be close to someone who drives me so crazy? Mm. And, and so that kind of opened the door to the conversation. And so we, we, we started talking, we started, you know, both like having very healthy conversations about what we both needed, what went right, what went wrong, owning our stuff. Like it felt like an entirely new relationship. And you know, we, we went back to counseling, we went back to church, we went, you know, surrounding ourselves with people who were pro us, um, yeah. you know, making sure that we weren't surrounded by people who were, you know, against us getting back together because we got divorced in the first place, like really being mindful of all of it. And, um, everything felt, felt good for a couple of years. And then, um, it started feeling like old patterns of behavior kind of sunk back in and um and on both of our part you know it yeah. wasn't, I sure. wasn't new to it yeah uh, but at the time I still was um kind of pointing fingers at him and I'm sure he was pointing fingers at me and and it we would go to counseling sessions and we would get to places where I thought it was kind of a root cause and he would get up and leave and, you know, so were you remarried? Were you remarried at this point? Yeah. You'd already gotten yeah. remarried. Yeah. 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 So I started going to counseling um, before we got remarried and mm -hmm. then got remarried and kept going. Right. But during the times when we would miss sessions or not be able to schedule it or whatever, like it would get progressively worse. And then when we would be going on a consistent basis, we would be better. But then, then as soon as he started walking out, um, that's when, when I kind of knew that I was stuck and, and the counselor even um, shared that is, you know, you're kind of in a rock and a hard place. You know what it's like to be divorced. You know what it's like to be married to him. Like, mm -hmm. what do you choose? You, you kind of know what you get. What do you choose? Right. Yeah. Because either one's work. There's no dresses. Absolutely. Right. Exactly. Yes. The, yes, exactly. Exactly. I talk about this all the time. I mean, there's this, this idea, um, of the grass being greener. And I think that when women are, and you're, you were in this interesting perspective, right? Cause I think that one of the things I always talk about this, I'm like, 
if you're trying to decide whether or not to leave your marriage, you're basically standing and there's a line in the sand and you just want to know if you cross it, if things are just going to, if it's going to be better or if it's just going to be more of the same or worse, like you want to, you want to know what's on the other side uh, before you make this decision, right? Is my life going to suck? Holy hell. Or is this going to be huge, hugely, you know, huge relief. And for the most part, for the most part, if if you're not doing it with help, like I actually help women map out what that's going to be. And we really look at it and I don't, and I don't, I don't bullshit them about it. You know, we talk about that. It, there's the loneliness and the what's on the really what is on the other side, the truth of what's on the other side. Right. You actually knew it. <laughs> you yeah, know? you I actually had the experience I mean, of it. Yeah, ah. I knew it. I knew exactly what it was like. Um, not Except- only to be divorced, but to be divorced from him. And I knew yeah. like all of those nuances. And I knew, I knew the impact on my kid. Although you know, at this point now, he was you know approaching teen years and so it was going to be a little bit different and mm-hmm. um it was he was how was he 12 the second time um he was yeah 12 13 yeah, yeah I that's what I thought yeah and so he um like obviously that was a huge consideration is not only am I doing this to me and to Rick but I'm also doing it to our son and and you know and even that language was in my head. I'm doing, doing it too. To uh, yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. Because I'm the one making the choice because he never would have. And knowing that, <clears throat> you know, I was going through enough counseling at the time and enough self-awareness growth with the work that I was starting to do in the world with core values and corporate culture and relationships and because this was right around the time when you were shifting out of real estate and into coaching like this was which there's no and I don't think there's any uh there's no coincidence to that right right you were doing all of this work on your own values on teaching going into schools teaching core values in the schools like completely revamping the education system in Las Vegas right and then like you're coming home to this thing that doesn't align yeah yeah. Yeah. But, and when we met, you know, I actually wanted him to go through the ORSC certification with me and he wouldn't do it for financial reasons. And I, I struggled with that. Like I understood it logically. Um, it wasn't really his wheelhouse, right? It's just not really who he is or again, not his values. <laughs> not, not his thing. And yeah. So to, to get to a place where it was like, okay, we're not bad people, but we get to be happy. Yes. Yep. That, um, that mindset around it, while it was still excruciatingly painful to, um, to go through a second divorce, um, helped me through it, helped me like lead with an energy of forgiveness and not making either one of us wrong. Right. Right. It was not a perfect science. It was not perfect in my head. It was not perfect in my feelings and my thoughts. But that was my anchor, was yep. leading, was remembering that. And, and being able to, to look at him not as someone who always made me angry, um, but to look at him as the, for the things that he did do well, but we were still not in alignment and we were not, still not happy. And <clears throat> because I continue to to have this, this narrative prior to that of, 
I'm just enduring it. I'm just waiting until, you know, Hunter's off to college and then we'll, we'll figure it out from there. And, and that just even that word, like I'm enduring, enduring it. it yeah. When I, when I had a friend kind of mirror that back to me, I was like, Oh, that, yeah, that's, that's not good. Like, no, Sandy, look from the outside. Would you want to see your friends? enduring their marriage like no that's not not good on either side and so to and and also I mean one of the things that I you know always talk about is what are you modeling to hunter right and Mm -hmm. that you know when we are enduring this is a conversation obviously that I have all the time with women who want who think that they should stay until their kids are until their Mm -hmm. kids go to college and I think my god especially in their teen years from like 12 to 18 when they're really formulating, like really looking for what's a relationship, you know, all of those things are having their, they're experiencing their first relationships and all of that. And we're modeling endurance. (laughs) We're modeling white knuckling it. Yeah. And And that was my, that was my final thing was I, I am, I am hurting him more by staying and he may not see that or think that or feel that any time in the near future, but ultimately I'm opening the door yeah. for to see healthy, happy relationships. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, you know, I talk about this all the time in that, you know, you know, in dating and relationships and my, you know, experiences of dating and relationships and even breakups and all of that, my son gets to see what choices I make. He gets to see why I've left relationships. I talk to him really openly about it. I talked to him about what was great about a relationship and what I would love to import into the next relationship. I talk about why it wasn't a relationship that I, that I wanted to choose for a long term. And my kid understands the subtle nuances of relationships because I, I, he gets to A, see it yeah. and B, you know, I talk to him about it. Um, and then on the other side of that, my ex is remarried to someone who is far better suited to him than I was. And they, and they, he, he lives on, in that household. There is a healthy, happy, harmonious marriage with two people who really deeply like each other. And I don't think that my ex and I, we, we, we love each other and we respect each other and all of those things. But, you know, in our marriage, I don't think there was a whole lot of respect or like there. Yeah. And we just weren't well matched. And it wasn't, you know, they, there's laughter and light and love in that house. And thank God. That and that was one of my moments when I was like, I'm keeping him. I'm keeping him from finding happiness. Yeah. You know? And talking about like what we share with our kids. Yeah. uh, There's there's so much that I'm I'm watching um the results now as Hunter gets older. He's gonna be 17 this summer. Oh my god, I can't watching things, right? Um, I'm watching him do certain things with me that have a depth of emotional intelligence to them that I never had at his age. Sure. Uh, even though I think I was pretty aware, but I'm nowhere near the things that that he's doing. I mean, he and I were in, you know, a, a stupid argument about something, <clears throat> and I was like, I just need some space. And I went and I sat in my car because that felt like the only place I could just go and take a mommy time out. Yeah. And, and he ended up coming and sitting in the car with me. And I was like, I just need some space. And he goes, okay. And he just sat there. And, 
<laughs> and he and he's like, you need some space and I'm going to hold it for you. <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and he got to this place where it was almost a little bit snarky uh-huh. because I don't think he was doing, doing it on a conscious level, which is even better is he started saying, I bet you can't tell me 10 things you're grateful for in your life. <laughs> I was like, oh, yes, I can. <laughs> oh, my God, that's hilarious. And again, me going through, and, and we know this, right, that, that even the act of trying to think of something you're grateful for shifts your, your brain chemistry. Right. And so me getting into that place of, oh, yes, I can, I'll show you how it's done kind of thing, and him being snarky, like, oh, no, you can't. And again, it was the two of us acting like teenagers together. All of a sudden I stooped to his level and needed a timeout. And I knew that, but it was him asking that that got me to share what I'm grateful for. And it's the same tool that I use on him when he's acting like a spoiled brat. And then I was like, all right, now it's your turn. He was like, I don't have 10 things. I'm like, all right, start with three and then we'll go from there. And he started and then we got, it. <laughs> and all of a sudden we get to like thing five and he's like, no, that next one goes under this one. And so all of a sudden we had like 12 subcategories. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then we're done. And, and he goes, so you want to go get something to eat? And he's deep. <laughs> deep man voice. I know. Mine has that now too. It's awful. I was like, yes, let's go. It's, <laughs> um, it's those moments where I'm like, okay. Yes. I'm doing something right. It's working. No matter how painful it is, he is seeing me learn and grow as a human. He's seen not only with the work that I'm doing, but he's seeing me take care of myself. He's seeing me with healthy friendships, with a healthy relationship. He's seeing his dad with a healthy relationship. And even though he still says, you know, divorce sucks and, and he'll come up with something every once in a while. And, and that's absolutely true for him. At yep. the end of the day, he still points out more of the positive things yep. than the negative things. Yep. So. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. Emmett's always just, he's always telling his friends and now he's the, you know, he's the kid um, at school that when his, you know, friends, parents get divorced as, as they do. Um, he's the one who's like, dude, no, it's cool. You get two houses and you, know, like, you get time alone with each parents. Like, it's awesome. Um, but Yeah. And sometimes it's difficult and they get to have that experience. I wanted to actually ask you because you've, you've pointed to this a few times and you and I know this because of all of our training, right? But for our listeners who may not actually know the brain science behind um, gratitude and positivity and those sorts of things, would you want to give a little, can you give a a brief 101? Yeah. Um, So like neuroscience research, um, talks about how just, and this is what I mentioned, just the act of trying to think of something you're grateful for. And I used to say this and it's, um, (laughs) this was kind of where I started with my gratitude practice is the fucking sun is shining. That's all I got today. (laughs) Just that act of, of dipping your toe in the water of something that mm-hmm. is grateful in your life that you're grateful for um, shifts your brain chemistry to a more positive state and unlocks the ability for you to lean into joy, into play, into um, happiness and well-being and those kind of emotions and, and root things versus our brains are naturally wired for anger and fear and sadness. And those, those are our primary emotions. We also have joy in there, but if you have one to three, you've got, 
an imbalance, right? The other three mm-hmm. are, are easier to tap into. We go into that caveman fight or flight mode, especially when we're stressed. Yeah. And so if we can find something that, that activates that joy um, in us, even if it's in a snarky way at first, it starts to, to you trick your brain. Love it. it yes, it. right. Yeah. And and there's a lot of you know research about what, what they call plasticity, right? That our that our our brains are not these rigid. I mean, they're so complex, right? They're so deeply complex, but. Um, that neuroscience proves that that there that there is pl- this plasticity. There's they are malleable. We can, you know. Cr- I always talk about it. Um, uh, neural pathways as sort of these, like you you lay a thread and then another thread and then another thread and then another thread and eventually, you know, from point A to point B, eventually you have a really strong cable. Yeah, and it's in it, in the beginning. It's really, and this is how we form habits. I mean, habits are neural pathways being laid in our brains, right? And so, you know, I always use this example that I wanted to start drinking water in the morning before coffee, right? Mm-hmm. And it took so much energy <laughs> before my coffee for right. me to remember to have water before my coffee, right? Because I needed my coffee to be awake enough to remember the thing, right? And so it took. A certain level of, you know, each day putting notes up, right, whatever it was to, to remind me to go and get water first. Yeah. And I would go for the coffee and then I would go for the water and then I would go for the coffee, go for the water. And eventually the habit was formed because I was laying a new, ca- a new thread every single day towards water until finally there was this really strong cable where my body every morning wants water. Right. Yeah. You know, and that's sort of, you know, um, so the, the idea of gratitude and making gratitude lists, I mean, one of the reasons that they say to, you know, write a gratitude list at the end of the day, right, is that if you write your list at the end of the day, you're thinking back mm-hmm. throughout the day, trying to find the positive, but eventually the neural pathways are started to are starting to get laid, right? The cable's getting thicker. So throughout the day, you're actually starting to notice more positive things. And the more positive things you notice, the more happy you are. Right. Right. What I talk about, um, even in my coaching with schools is Mm -hmm. the more we actually are looking for those positives and we have physical awards and rewards for teachers to be handing out and we're actually measuring how many times you're acknowledging them for living true to this core value and this core value and those kind of things. And, mm-hmm. and we make it a whole marketing advertising fun thing, but the neuroscience behind it is, is that the more often that we as educators, caregivers, parents, all of us are focused on that positive behavior, the more we'll get because that's yes. what we're constantly seeking. Right. And then, you know, and, and again, you know, the brain science, we, we nerd out on this stuff, but yeah. I actually, you know, what's interesting is that I nerd out on it, you nerd out on it. But when I, when I bring the science to my clients, they're actually way more apt to co-sign. They're yeah. so more, much more bought into it. Yeah. Um, than when I'm just like, you should start a gratitude list. It's like, no, 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 here's why. Right. And you know, what we're doing is we're having, there's a dopamine rush, right? Our, our reward center of our brain gets activated and we get addicted to that, to that rush of dopamine and we want more. So we seek the reward. We seek the happiness. Right. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so powerful when you see it, um, actually start to work 
And, you know, I have the, the hindsight now to look at all of the threads that I was laying from the time that I was 30 and went, wait, who am I and what do I want to, you know, 13 years later being like, oh, all right, it's kind of starting to work. Now. Yeah, <laughs> it takes, sometimes it takes a while. <laughs> don't let it take everyone 13 years, but it's, it's just that, <laughs> that consistency of, yeah, I, I've got this and I have, um, I have eight questions that I ask myself every morning and, um, I actually How many? stole them eight questions, oh. um, from Roger Hamilton, who is the founder of entrepreneurs Institute. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, so he goes through these eight questions every morning for himself. And so I, I adopted them and it's something that I share with my school leaders, um, is you wake up every morning and it's just thoughts. So I'm not having to write them down. It's not like a, a to-do list. You're having thoughts while you're getting ready in the morning anyways, you might as well be right. about them. Right. And so I have these eight questions and I have them just on the inside of my vanity mirror. Um, that's what it's called, right? Their medicine cabinet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> your van- <laughs> is it called your vanity? It is for your vanity, whatever. <laughs> that's yeah. Um, so the first one is, is what are you grateful for? Mm-hmm. Um, and who do you love? Mm. Why are you so happy? What's your intention today? Um, what are you committed to? How committed are you? Mm. Um, what, um, what's your wish for the day and why are you here? Great. And it just grounds me in how I'm showing up for the day. I love that. Can we, I want to make sure that um, we're, I'm going to put those in the show notes because I love, yeah, I think that's, that's great. Just everybody, there'll be, there'll be a link in there or a list in there. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So this is sort of what's possible on the other side, right? I mean, it's, it's, and this is one of the things, you know, when I work with women on should I stay or should I go, which is really the core of the work, so much of the work that I do um, with women. And one of the first things we do is values work because, um, you know, and we do it with a mind towards how to, how does this align in your marriage? Because so often when we feel off, and we feel frustrated and we feel like we're butting up against things, it's a values question. And there's no right or wrong, right? It's it's not about it's not about right or wrong. It's not, they're not, they're not shoulds, they're not morals, they're not ethics, they're just they're personal. Yeah. And when they're out of alignment, it's really intense. It can be really intense. And it's it's the difference between a value you agree with and a core value. Mm-hmm. Because we all agree with Sure. Yep. Phoenix. Absolutely. Yep. We all agree with respect. But what does that really mean to you? And what is the core yeah. value to you? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, when I realized it was gratitude that is my number one core value is when, you know, Hunter was acting like a spoiled brat at like three years old and I was losing my marbles as a mom, throwing all this stuff in garbage bags and putting in a spare room and I was it was a nut I mean, nut job. And <laughs> I <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be this parent. I don't want to be like, this doesn't yeah. feel good. I don't like, I fought for two and a half years and three miscarriages to get my baby. And why am I like, what is wrong with me? I mean, I it went through that whole self-sabotage, um, yeah. but realized that what he was violating was gratitude. And mm. so then I started flipping it on its head and started asking him at that, at that age, you know, three things, tell me three things you're grateful for. Um, and it gave both of us that time out to shift our brain chemistry and move forward. Mm. And so it's the power of once you articulate what your core values are, then you can begin living your life on purpose. And, 
um, living with that intention each day, seeking that values alignment and understanding why they're there and that it's not, it's not good, bad, right or wrong. Like you said, it's just alignment or not alignment. And so that's, um, that's actually my, my book that, that I is swirling in my head. Yeah. Ready to start putting together is how you actually live um, in values alignment and how you discover that, how you actually um, uncover those, those little nuggets that, that help get you through the day. Because at the end of the day, that's who you're in charge of. You're you're in charge of who you show up as. I love it. I want that book. You better write it. I know everyone says that to me too. I'm like, okay, in all my spare time, (laughs) it's coming. I swear. Oh my God. Uh, Leveraging other people. It's about leveraging other people to help us accomplish the things that, that we want to do. Yep. And uh, I've started shifting that word. um, Instead of delegating, I'm leveraging Mm -hmm. because I want other people to leverage me for my strengths. I want to. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yay. Well, Sandy, thank you so much. Um, we have all sorts of stuff that's going to be in the show notes for, so you guys can find Sandy and learn more about her work, especially, um, in schools. Cause it's really bringing all of this values work into the schools, which is just so needed. So important. Yeah. Thank so, you. So much. Yeah. Thank you. So good to catch up with you. I know you too. Thanks for listening to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. You can find me over at kateanthony.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes so you don't miss an episode. See you next time.